0: Welcome back to Christianity and Why It Matters, I'm Andrew, and let's get right into it. Today, we will be covering something different. This time, we will take a break from the Bible, and dive deeper and explain what, who, when, and why Saul of Tarsus was who he was. In this episode, we will cover what his main purpose was, and why Jesus and God wanted Saul to help spread the word of God throughout the world. Some non-biblical information about Saul is he was a Greek-speaking Jew from Asia Minor. His birthplace, Tarsus, was a major city in eastern Sicilia, a region that had been made part of the Roman province of Syria by the time of Paul's adulthood. Two of the main cities of Syria, Damascus, and Antioch played a prominent part in his life and letters. Although the exact date of his birth is unknown... He was active as a missionary in the 40s and 50s of the 1st century. From this, it may be inferred that he was born about the same time as Jesus or a little later. He was converted to faith in in Jesus about 33 AD and he died, probably in Rome, because he appealed to Caesar. That information was taken from Greek mythologists and Greek history theorists. So, that was not biblical information. So, now we're getting into some more biblical information. His mission. Paul believed that his vision proved that Jesus lived in heaven, that Jesus was the Messiah and God's Son, and that he would soon return. Moreover, Paul thought that the purpose of his re- of this revelation was his own appointment to preach among the Gentiles. Galatians 1.16 By the time of his last extant letter, Romans, he could clearly describe his own place in God's plan. The Hebrew prophets, he wrote, had predicted that in days to come, God would restore the tribes of Israel and that the Gentiles would then turn to worship the one true God. Paul maintained that his place in the scheme was to win the Gentiles, both Greeks and barbarians. The common term for non-Greeks at the time, Romans 1.14, Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glorify my ministry in order to take my, in order to make my own people jealous, and therefore save some of them. Romans eleven thirteen through fourteen. In two other places in Romans eleven verses twenty five and twenty six, the full number of the Gentiles will come in, and thus all Israel. Will be saved, and thirty verses thirty to thirty-one in Romans chapter one. By the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. Paul asserts that he would save some Israel indirectory, uh, through jealousy, and that Jews would be brought to Christ because of his successful Gentile mission. Therefore, Paul's view, or Saul of Tarsus, his view reversed the traditional understanding of God's plan, according to which Israel would be restored before the Gentiles were converted. Whereas Peter, James, and John the chief apostles to be to the circumcised, uh, Galatians, chapter two, six through ten, had been relatively unsuccessful, so God led had led Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, through Asia Minor and Greece in triumph and had used him to spread the fragrance that comes from knowing him god 2 corinthians chapter 2 through 14 since in paul's view god's plan could not be frustrated he concluded that it would work in reverse sequence first the gentiles then the jews paul's technique for winning gentiles is uncertain but one possibility is that he delivered lectures in public gathering places acts 17 Verse Seven, and I am quoting some scripture, so that's why you would hear me talking about Acts and Corinthians. There is however, another possibility: Paul conceded that he was not an eloquent speaker, 2 Corinthians chapter ten, verse ten, and chapter eleven, verse six. Moreover he had he had to spend much possibility most of his time working to support himself as a tent-maker. He worked with leather, and leather work is not noisy. While he worked, therefore, he could have talked, and once he found to have something interesting to say, people would have dropped by from time to time to listen. It is very probable that Paul spread the gospel in this way. During Saul of Tarsus, or Paul's life, he spent time doing traveling and letters. During the first two centuries of the Roman Empire, travel was safer than it would be again until the suppression of pirates in the 19th century. Paul and his companions sometimes traveled by ship, but much of the time they walked, probably beside a donkey c- carrying tools, clothes, and perhaps some scrolls. Occasionally, they had plenty, but often they were hungry, ill-clad, and cold. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 And Second Corinthians, chapter eleven to verse twenty-seven, and at times they had to rely on the charity of their converts, converts or converts. Paul wanted to keep pressing west, and therefore only occasionally he had the opportunity to revisit his churches. He had to keep up his converts' spirits, or a convert or convert would be somebody he converted to Christ. If you are wondering answer their questions, and resolve their problems by letter and by sending one or more of his assistants, especially Timothy and Titus. Paul's letters reveal a remarkable human being, dedicated, compassionate, emotional, sometimes harsh and angry, clever and quick-witted, supple in argumentation, and above all possessing a soaring, passionate commitment to God, Jesus Christ, and his own mission. Fortunately after his death one of his followers collected some of the letters edited them edited them very slightly and published them. They constitute one of history's most remarkable personal contributions to religious thought and practice. Despite Paul's inter intemperate outburst in 1st Corinthians, women should be silent in the churches, he says. Chapter 14, verse 34 to 36. Women played a large part in his missionary endeavor. Chloe was an important member of the church in Corinthians. So, 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 11. And Phoebe was a deacon and a benefactor of Paul and others. Romans, chapter 16, verse 1 through 2. Romans 16 names eight other women active in the Christian movement, including Junia, prominent among the apostles. Mary, who who has worked very hard among you and Julia. Women were frequently among the major supporters of new religious movements and Christianity was no exception. Although in his own view Paul was the true and authoritative apostle to the Gentiles, chosen for the task from his mother's womb. Galatians chapter 1 chapter 1 verse 15 through 16, chapter 2 verse 7 through 8 and Romans chapter 11 verse 13. Through 14 he was only one set of several missionaries spawned by the early Christian movement some of the uh, some of the other Christian workers must have been quite important indeed an in unknown minister of Christ and established the church at Rome before Paul arrived in the city Paul treated some of these possible competitors such as Prisca Aquila Junia and Andronicus in a very friendly manner Romans chapter 16. Verses 3 and 7. While he looked on others with suspicion or hostility, he was especially wary of Apollos, a Christian missionary known to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 22. And he fulfilled competitors in Corinthians as false apostles and ministers of Satan. He called down God's curse on competing to preachers in Galatia and asserted that some of the Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem were false brothers only in the latter two cases however in this nature of the disagreement known Paul's competitors opposed his admitting Gentiles to the Christian movement without requiring them to become Jewish the polemical sections of Paul's letters have been used in Christian controversies ever since Paul had a basic message in the surviving letters, Paul often recalls what he said during his founding visits. He preached the death, resurrection, and lordship of Jesus, and he proclaimed that faith in Jesus guarantees a share in his life. Writing to the Galatians, he reminded them, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited and as crucified. And you can read this in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1. And writing to the Corinthians, he ca- recalled that he had known nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. According to Paul, Jesus' death was not a defeat, but was for the believer's benefit. In accord with ancient sacrificial theology, Jesus' death substituted for that of others and thereby freed believers from sin and guilt. You can read this also in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 25. A second interpretation of G- of Jesus Christ's death appears in Galatians and Romans. Those who are baptized into Christ are baptized into his death, and therefore they escape the power of sin. Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. In the first case, Jesus died so that the believers' sins will be purged. In the second, he died so that the believers may die with him and consequently live with him in paradise or also known as heaven. These two ideas obviously coincide, and the resurrection of Christ was also of primary importance, as Paul revealed in his letter to the theologians the earliest surviving account of conversion to the Christian movement written to Theologianica in Macedonia, possibly as early as 41, Common Era, and no later than 51, therefore no more than 20 years after Jesus' death. The letter states, For the people of those regions, report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. And this is in first Theologians uh, chapter 1, verses 9-10. through 10. Since Jesus was raised and still lives, he could return to rescue believers at the time of the final judgment, and that is in Revelation. The resurrection is connected to the third major emphasis, the promise of salvation to believers. Paul taught that those who died in Christ would be raised when he returned, while those still alive would be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Theologians 4, verses 14-18. These and many other passages reveal the essence of, Christian, of the Christian message. 1. God sent his Son. 2. The Son was crucified and resurrected for the benefit of humanity. 3. The Son of God would soon return. and 4. Those who belonged to the Son would live with him forever. Paul's gospel, like those of others, also included 5. The admonition to live by the highest moral standard. May your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can read this in First Theologians, chapter five, verse twenty-three. Like many of the other apostles, Paul made and created churches. Although Paul may have converted some Jews, his mission was directed towards the Gentiles, who therefore constitute the vast majority of his converts. The letters sometimes explicit- explicitly state that Paul's converts had been polytheists, or idolaters. The theologians had turned to God from idols, 1st Theologians chapter 1, verse 9, and at least some of the Corinthians wished to be allowed to continue to to participate in idolatrous worship, 1 Corinthians 8 and 10. Scholars have referred to Gentile religions in the ancient Mediterranean world as paganism, polytheism, and idolatry. These terms are frequently used interchangeably. Pagan religion was very tolerant. The gods of foreign traditions were accepted as long as they were added to the gods worshipped locally. Civic loyalty, however, included participation in public worship of the local gods. Jews had the privilege of worshipping only the god of Israel, but everyone else was expected to conform to local customs. Paul and other missionaries to Gentiles were subject to criticism, abuse, and punishment for drawing people away from the pagan cults. Although he had showed some flexibility on eating food that he had offered to an idol, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23-30, to 30, Paul, a monotheistic Jew, was completely opposed to worship of the idol by eating and drinking in the confines of a pagan temple. Therefore, his converts had to give up public worship of the local gods. Moreover, since Paul's converts did not become Jewish, they were, in general opinion, nothing. Neither Jew nor pagan. Religiously, they could identify only with one another and frequently they must have wavered because of their isolation from well-established and popular activities. It was especially difficult for them to refrain from public festivities since parades, feasts, including free red meat, which was very difficult to find, theatrical performances, and athletic competitions were all connected to pagan religious traditions. This social isolation of the early converts intensified their need to have rewarding spiritual experiences within Christian communities and Paul attempted to respond to this need. Although they had to wait with patience and endure suffering first, theologians verse chapter 1 verse 6 and although salvation from the pains of this life lay in the future, in the present Paul said his followers could rejoice in spiritual gifts such as healing, prophesying, and speaking in tongues. Uh, if you don't know what speaking in tongues is, that's just when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you can speak in many different languages just like that. In fact, Paul saw Christians as beginning to be transformed even before the coming resurrection. The new person was beginning to replace the old. Although he placed his converts in a situation that was often uncomfortable, Paul did not ask them to believe many things that would be conceptually difficult. The belief that there was only one true God had a place within pagan philosophy. or philosophy. If not pagan religion, it was intellectually satisfying. By the first century, many pagans found Greek mythology lacking in intellectual and moral content, and replacing it with the Hebrew Bible was therefore not especially difficult. The belief that God sent his son agreed with the widespread view that gods could produce human offspring. The activities of the Holy Spirit in their lives corresponded to the common view that spiritual forces control nature and events. The teaching of the resurrection was of the body, however, was difficult for pagans to embrace, despite the fact that, their, that life after death was generally expe- accepted. Pagans who believed in the immorality of the soul maintained that the soul escaped at death, the body, they knew decayed. To meet this problem, Paul proclaimed that the resurrection of the body would be a spiritual body, not flesh and blood. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 42 through 55. Theological Views Paul, like other Jews, was a monotheist who believed that God of Israel was the only true God, but he also believed that the universe had multiple levels and was filled with spiritual beings. Paul's universe included religions below the earth, the third heaven or paradise, and and beings he called angels, principalities, rulers, powers, and demons. He also recognized the leader of the forces of evil whom he called Satan, or the devil, and the God of this world. He declared in 1 Corinthians chapter eight verse five, that there are many gods and many lords, though he meant so-called gods, and not true gods. And in Romans chapter six verse seven, he treated sin as a personified or semi-personified power. Despite all this, Paul believed that at the right time the God of Israel would send his son to defeat the powers of darkness. Originally, Jesus had only one name, and that was Jesus. He was, reter- he was referred to as Jesus from Nazareth or Jesus of Nazareth. Joseph's son or Joseph and Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. When greater precision was necessary, During his lifetime, his disciples may have begun to think of him as the Messiah, Christ in Greek translation, the anointed one who would restore the fortunes of Israel. After his death and resurrection, his followers regularly referred to him as the Messiah, and at some point his adherents also began to refer to him as Son of God. Paul employed both Christ and Son of God freely, and he is also responsible for the widespread use of Christ, as if it were Jesus' name rather than his title. Paul sometimes shows knowledge that the Christ was a title, not a name, but more commonly he referred to Jesus as Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, or even Christ, as in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Christ was raised from the dead. In all of these cases, Christ is used as if it were a part of Jesus' name. Various Jewish groups, however, expected different kings or messiahs, or even none at all, and these titles, therefore, did not have precise meanings when the Christians started using them. Son of God in the Hebrew Bible is used metaphorically. God is the Father, human beings are his children, and this usage continued in post-biblical Jewish literature. The Jewish Bible, in general, could be called Sons of God, and the singular is Son of God could be applied to individuals who especially who were especially close to God. Since neither Messiah nor Son of God automatically conveys a specific meaning, the significance of those these terms must be determined by studying how each author uses them, within the Gospels and within the Bible. What Paul meant by Christ and Son of God cannot be known with certainty. But he seems not to have defined the person of Jesus metaphysically. For example, that he was... Half human and half divine. In in Philippians chapter two, verse six through eleven, Paul states that Christ Jesus was pre-existent and came to earth. He emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. That this sounds as if Jesus was a heavenly being who only appeared to be human. In Romans chapter one, verses one through six, however, Paul writes that God declared Jesus to be Son of God by raising him from the dead. This sounds as if Jesus was a human being who was adopted, although po- both views that Jesus was not really human and that he was not really divine would have a long life in Christianity. The church decided by the middle of the 5th century that Jesus was both entirely divine and entirely human. This solution, however, seems not to be, not to have been in Paul's mind, and it took centuries of debating to evolve. Paul's thoughts and Paul's thought concerning Jesus' work, as opposed to Jesus' person, is much clearer. God, according to Paul, sent Jesus to save the entire world, as noted above. Paul paid special attention to Jesus' death and resurrection. His death, in the first place, was the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of everyone. Early Christians, influenced by the ancient history or ancient theory that one death could serve as a substitute for others, believed that Jesus died on the cross so that believers would escape eternal destruction. For Paul, however, Jesus' death allowed believers to escape not only the consequences of transgression, but also the power of sin that leads into transgression. The believer who baptized into Christ, becoming one with him, Galatians chapter 3, verses 27-28, this meant that through Christ's Christ's death, The baptized believer has mystically or metaphorically died, and therefore died to the power of sin that resigns in the world. Death with Christ gave newness of life, in the present and guaranteed being raised with him in the future. Christ's death then defeated sin in both senses. His blood brought atonement for transgression, and his death allowed those who were united with him to escape the power of sin. The physical universe also needed to be freed from bondage to decay. The fact that individual believers could escape from sin did not free the entire world. When the time was right, God would send Christ back to save the, co- by, save the cosmos by defeating all the remaining forces of sin and to liberate all of creation. Once Christ defeated all of his enemies, including death, he would turn creation over to God so that God would be all in all. And in his grand vision of the redemption of the created order, Paul shows how deeply he be- believed in one God, maker of heaven and earth, and in his and in the cosmic importance of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, there you have it. Saul was a very important person that God chose to spread the word of God. Near the end of his travels, he appealed to Caesar If you appeal to Caesar, you basically go to the Roman Supreme Court, although there wasn't a Supreme Court at the time. I would personally like to thank you for listening to Episode 6 of Season 1 of Christianity and Why It Matters. I'm Andrew, and God bless you, and remember that all things are possible through Jesus Christ.